Yeah, so we, uh, clearly moonshot has a different meaning for NASA. We've been to the moon already. This is why uh, our executives and management uh, is really excited about it. Welcome to Inside Unmanned Systems Drone Beat, where the best minds in the drone world come to engage. I'm Richard Fisher, publisher at Inside Unmanned Systems, coming to you live from the National Press Club in Washington, D.C., with your hosts, Sean Bullard and James Poss. Hello, I'm Sean Bullard. And I'm James Poss. Together, we are Inside Unmanned Systems Drone Beat. Sean, what are we covering this episode? Well, James, we're covering NASA's take on urban air mobility. Okay, this should be an extremely informative episode as we kick off uh, this month's Urban Air Mobility Four-Port Series, or actually wrap it up. I know that you spent a good bit of time out at NASA Ames over the years, Sean, so I suspect there's a lot of our next guest is going to share with us about NASA's enabling of autonomous drone cars for everybody. Well, I guess they're not cars, but... <laughs> yes, indeed, we are, James. You're exactly right. Much of what the UAS community is benefiting from today was born out of NASA's early research. And at the present moment, there's not a month that goes by where there isn't something positive coming out of the space agency to advance the safe integration of UAS in the NAS. Whether it's smalls, mediums, or large UAS, they're on top of the research. Yeah, well, I, I have to agree with you. Uh, NASA seems to be getting all the right people in the room, and they're building on their enabling autonomous flight and operations in the National Airspace Systems Workshop, which, gosh, how long have those been going on? Years. Uh, they've encouraged new technologies through their multiple technical capability levels, or, or TCLs. Everything's going to have an acronym in the government. And no one can argue that they've leveraged the heck out of uh, driving substantive research, development, and testing in a couple of the FAA-designated UAS test sites. They've done a great job. Yes, yes, yes. We've got the very best of the best at NASA on today's show. There are very few in the country who know unmanned systems better than Dr. Kopartikar of NASA Ames, or better known as PK. As the father of unmanned traffic management, PK will cover the history of urban air mobility. I also hope he'll tell us why he thinks it was important a few years ago to incorporate the word urban into the UAS community's vocabulary. Yeah, that's right. If I live in the country, I don't get this. I mean, what's well, up with that? You know, we'll, we'll, we'll ask him. When, we'll a, ask when him. a lot okay. of folks are telling us that urban air mobility industry's first baby steps may take place in the rural heartland. Okay. Well, we'll ask him. All right. So welcome to Drone Beat, PK. Before we start, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into drones at NASA? Sure. Thank you for having me on Drone Beat. Uh, my name is uh, Parimal Kopardekar. Everybody calls me PK. And we have been doing research in NASA on air traffic management for the last 30, 35 years. Last five to seven years, we started to think about the new wave of entrance into airspace. And one of the interesting parts of that is we realized that we have to enable the drone operations in a safe and efficient manner. And that's when we started to worry about what is the best way to incorporate drones into airspace system. And we began to uh, conceptualize and construct called U.S. or Unmanned Aircraft System Traffic Management, UTM. That sort of paved the way to the new era into the aviation, so to speak. 
The next thing that comes so right after that is this urban, uh, basically electric vertical takeoff landing vehicles. As you can see, there is a confluence of in advancing battery technologies, electric propulsion, and these new vehicles, along with ability to accommodate these vehicles in the airspace at a large scale level without disturbing the air traffic control system. That is very crucial. So we, even though we talk about it as urban air mobility, it is really advanced air mobility at many places than, other than just urban. No, no, I, I, I like the way you said that. Why was it called urban? Is that kind of a misnomer now that the system's matured? No, not at all. I mean, I think uh, the urban air mobility is called urban for air mobility. The focus is on that because we realize, society is realizing that people spend way too much time in commuting to urban locations on surface traffic. So there needs to be a different mode of transportation using the third dimension, just like the skyscrapers grew and started to use third dimension. We felt uh, the whole community at large feels that urban uh, is where there will be a huge savings uh, in terms of the time. Now, it, that does not preclude the air advanced air mobility to other regions where you might be able to reach heli uh, hospitals much faster and you might be able to deliver into remote areas that, mm -hmm. that needs faster. So even though the much emphasis is, is on urban because of the value of time associated there differently for the larger population that commutes back and forth, this is really for many, many regions and everybody, really. Well, so you mentioned a lot of uses. I never really thought about this, but who do you think are going to be the the first beneficiaries of this new service? I mean, uh, you know, is it going to be, you know, like Uber saying, uh, Uber Elevate Sky Taxis? Is it going to be first responders? And for me, when do you think that the common guy in the street is going to be able to use it? Is that 10 years away, 20, 30, 50? What do you think, PK? Yeah, you know, I'm not the best person to speculate timing. Otherwise, I would have been richer by now, obviously. True, <laughs> <laughs> so, all of us. But but all we can say is what pieces need to be in place to make that happen, right? So we need to have quiet aircraft. We need to have battery technology that can increase the stage length uh, more than 20 minutes or so. We need to have uh, this uh, UTM's type of construct for it air traffic management, where it's cooperative in the sky, uh, so that we can enable large-scale operations. So there are a number of pieces, and we need to have regulatory and safety structure in place. You know, safety is very paramount, as you, you all know. M making sure that these operations occur in a safe manner is very important for everybody. So I think there are a number of pieces that uh, need to be um, basically working together to, to cross the finish line. And how long it will take is a great question, but I think you will start to see crawl, walk, run kind of approach where 
it will start at the smaller scale in one or two locations, and it will slowly grow. So then let me ask, urban air mobility seems technologically one of the tallest orders NASA has received since possibly the, the Saturn program in the in the 60s when I was a kid and, and the early 70s. Is, is this a moonshot moment for NASA and our generation? Yeah, so clearly moonshot has a different meaning for NASA. We've been to the moon already, uh, so we have taken those moonshots. But we haven't had electric drone sky taxis yet. (laughs) (laughs) But but we we think it's really, this is why our executives and management uh, is really excited about it in terms of giving this new mission and new era of aviation, uh, enabling this new era in aviation. And our researchers super excited to enable that new era in aviation. Well, I mean, I think the whole industry is as well. I mean, uh, I I think manned large airliners are are you know, growing at uh, a given capacity, I think we'll all agree general aviation has been moribund for decades. But gosh, this has got the chance to really inject some some interest into, uh, and, and let's be honest, cash into the aviation market it just happens to be unmanned. Well, I mean, we just had, uh, you know, Kate Frazier from Uber Elevate on the show and, and, you know, recently. And then we also had Embraer X. And so you've got these heavyweight manufacturers like Embraer X and Boeing Aurora Flight Services and, and others who are really looking at this where, you know, Kate says, you know, you've got to increase the manufacturing when they do find that that holy grail, that aircraft that's able to be certified. It will it will need to be manufactured very quickly. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think the manufacturing and supply chain uh, to enable the drones and electric vertical takeoff landing vehicles, and some argue that maybe hybrid uh, vertical takeoff and landing vehicles. So that level of production rate has to be very high to meet the demands of the travel uh, through air. Uh, Once it's proven safe, once it's proven efficient, I think the rate of production is going to have to be very different than what the conventional aircraft are are produced. It will have to be closer in line with with the auto manufacturing. And part of that is to building the supply chain, the robust supply chain network inside the United States to support that. So you're saying there'll come a time when we'll have to, where the industry will take a turn or, or, or look toward or to Ford or uh, Fiat or Chrysler or even, let's say, Tesla. Or at least those manufacturing yeah. techniques for those guys. Those type of manufacturing. I think every region has manufacturing capabilities in the United States, and you know they might be interested in looking at it and retooling how the, the, to step up to this increased exciting need. So what I think I hear you saying is, you know, I was kind of concentrating this as, you know, this is going to be for first responders and, you know, Uber Elevate and all this. Are you saying there's going to be a production point, you know, sometime in the not too distant future where Sean and I are going to be able to buy one of these and have them in the garage? Uh, That's an interesting question. I think uh, first pass is going to be from point to point from a warranty pad to warranty pad as long as you can get a warranty pad approved through your uh, local zoning restrictions and such you might be able to do that too 
Oh, wow. So, you know, we might have a neighborhood. Uh, what, what were we going to call it? Drone Dome. A drone I think, dome was, uh, in what the neighborhood. We're to so, what we do is when we're planning communities yeah. in the future, yeah. what yeah. we do oh. is before we move into that community and buy our house, we're actually going to ensure that there's a, a I mean, I don't want to call it. I mean, we'll call it we're a, drone call dome. a drone dome call because it a drone dome. Uh, Uber's using Skyport and they probably yeah. already trademarked it. We we are mentally right now we're going to have trademarking a drone, dome. drone port. Yeah, a drone, drone port. Dome. Yeah. Dome. Yeah, I think it's important though that uh, we need to recognize the the processes and acceptance that public will have to play in this, and and the local authorities who have to approve the. Uh, the well, helipads and drone pads and well, that's a, that's a good point. Yeah. But but you kind of stepped us through it before. But maybe if you can go back through it again. I mean, this all sounds very expensive, very technically challenging. But kind of step us through the the near term crawl, then the mid term walk, and then the long term run stuff. I mean, what's going to have to happen first? We need the traffic management done. Uh, can we uh, use the work that you've been doing with uh, unmanned traffic management for this and then the aircraft are the big challenge? How, where do you I, see this as progressing? Yeah, that, that's a great question. So we feel from NASA side that there are three things that had to evolve almost simultaneously, aircraft, technologies, and design, airspace design and airspace operations and infrastructure. And what we have developed is a construct called urban air mobility maturity levels, UML. Uh, we are really good at so inventing like acronyms along with everything else. level we yeah. use in the DOD, TRL? Uh, yeah, it is similar to TRL, but it's much more integrated across airspace, aircraft, and infrastructure. And we feel that all three pieces had to keep moving forward. So think about it, the early UML, urban air mobility maturity level, will have um, maybe the first generation aircraft, maybe somewhat UTM and proceduralizer traffic kind of support and a basic infrastructure. But if you want to get to the medium density, medium complexity, which is UML4, then you need vertiports many places, charging stations, and making sure that we have right evacuation strategies, making sure that the noise levels are not going to be excessive and people will accept the noise associated with them, and air transportation and the contingency management procedures in case there are large-scale disruptions like bad weather and such, and the aircraft design that's going to be quiet and efficient and will have, will have longer stage length uh, as compared with the early UMLs. And then the UML-6 is high-density, high-complexity, fully autonomous. So we have this range of possibilities, and we, we think those th going through steps. So, and, and as I said, it's important thing is to have collective progress of aircraft, airspace, and infrastructure. So that's interesting. So I, yeah, I was listening to you talk about the UMLs. In the back of my mind, I was thinking about you know technical readiness level, TRL, that we're very used to in the DOD. And you, you guys in NASA use that as well. Right. But right. you get a different concept. So you're not just um, evaluating the tech in and of itself. You're evaluating the tech and then its ability to integrate in the other areas that you need to do. Did I get that and right? That, yeah, that's right. And that's why NASA wow. is designing a grand challenge to allow airspace aircraft 
designers and original equipment manufacturers, as well as some uh, communities to participate and to, to understand the level of maturity of these things so that we can get a good benchmark going and how we see progress. Okay, so PK, we're going to take a short break here to hear from our sponsor. But when we get back, let's drill down on the technical challenges, uh, plus some of the unforeseen challenges NASA is is tackling today. And also, I'd, I'd like for you to embellish a little bit more on the Grand Challenge. Thank you for joining Inside Unmanned Systems Drone Beat, sponsored by Rody and Schwartz, a leader in test and measurement for radar and EW, satellite technology, avionics, navigation, and guidance. Rody and Schwartz products help protect critical infrastructures with drone detection and defense solutions. Learn more at InsideUnmannedSystems.com. So, PK, over the past many years, NASA has developed a UAS research strategy that has invited many different voices to the table. Can you tell us about that strategy and how NASA has been able to harness the goodwill of so many disparate aviation communities that, that don't always agree? Yeah, so one of the things we learned uh, inside uh, NASA research is that we had to make our research very relevant. And one way to do that would be through including industry partners, academia, FA, Department of Defense, Department of DH, uh, Homeland Security, uh, and, and others, other government organizations in a much more collaborative fashion. So for unmanned aircraft system traffic management, we started working groups with industry in government organizations and academia and FAA test sites earlier on. And we evolved the concept very rapidly based on inputs we gathered from everybody and the feedback we got. And really, I felt that the collaborative innovation really was productive because we could then bring the industry's needs together with FAA's interest and in making sure that we're doing things right from by the safety reasons and the NASA's innovation and industry's innovation and test sites capabilities to test. All those things kind of converge in producing a very well-accepted concept um, that's uh, that, that's been now basically accepted all over the globe. That collaborative innovation is something that we think is key or secret sauce to these complex problems which require multiple disciplines and multiple stakeholder inputs and multiple stakeholder acceptance. Okay, so a, a lot of our other speakers have been kind of talking about what you just talked about, which is public acceptance. Right. And, uh, Kate, Every one of them. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. And, and Kate uh, Frazier from Uber also talked about the need for you know local government. What role, particularly here in the U.S., let's just talk about the U.S., does local government acceptance play in this? And, and, and how is, is NASA looking at that to, to help bring local, state local government along with this as you're bringing yeah, you know, the yeah. FAA? So, so certainly for urban air mobility, we have to accommodate and consider a good bit of understanding as to what the needs are of the communities, what the zoning restrictions are, what they are allowed to do, what would be the requirements for charging, what would be the requirements for acceptance of these operations. And, and you know, there's, there are things that we have to demonstrate, safety foremost, then noise, 
and access to warranty pads. I mean, one of the examples I would give you is making sure that we have the right evacuation strategies. If you have a warranty pad with number of um, uh, operations happening per hour and some something happens. Okay, so I, I heard that. Them. That's yeah. the second time I heard you say that, PK. And I also wanted to stop you earlier in the program. When you say evacuation, do you mean where you're using uh, autonomous aircraft to evacuate individuals out of a, a hostile um, a situation? Or are you talking about just evacuating uh, from a, a, like taking someone from point a to point B. Am I am I hearing you correctly? I think it's both. It's it's one to use these vehicles to evacuate in case of uh, challenges. Okay. okay. Uh, and the second is if you are in a warranty port and there's some anomaly of nominal condition happens. Uh, let's just take example. <laughs> okay, that's uh, a, that's fire, a good NASA fire word, off nominal. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. That's a Hurricane Katrina. Yeah, or, yeah. 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 Well, fire or high yeah, winds okay. or whatever. And then all of a sudden, all the people who are waiting to get on the on the vehicle need to evacuate that building or that, uh, that site. You need to have procedures and protocols in place when you know to do that. Just like we have at any other building, complex structures uh, where people gather, and there could be a fire alarm all of a sudden. And how do you right. manage that? You know, right. So, because so people that, may be on top of buildings, which is what, right. what, yeah. what 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 Kate Frazier with Uber has, you know, communicated and and explained to us is that you know we may go on the top of the building we're in right now at the National Press Club, go to the top floor, wait in a lounge for two or three minutes, and then we're off to National Airport before you know it. That's right. So we we need to, that that's sort of the things that was, as it goes back to the safety being the first premise to make making sure that these operations are safe. You enter, you exit, uh, you evacuate in case of any interesting situations. Wow, wow, that is that's amazing that that um, that we're even talking about about these types of scenarios. Yeah, that that is amazing. Uh, okay, so let, let's drill back down into the kind of the crawl, walk, run scenario that everybody seems to be talking about. Uh, can you give us an idea about how these what is going to end up being very complex, autonomous flying taxi operations, you know, sometime in the future, how are they going to leverage existing infrastructure, you know, cloud-based technology, stuff that we're doing now that we can get comfortable with? Yeah, the first part of this is the uh, digital connectivity across the multiple operators, multiple assets, so warranty pads and the planning um, systems of the operators as well as the aircraft. First thing is to have complete connectivity. And I'll give you an example. Um, let's say if you're flying along and you have a bird strike, you need to be able to know where to go and land, which warranty pad is accessible. Right. So if you have a full connectivity and then you understand the weather there, you understand that certain pad is available, you can go and land there. Uh, so that's the kind of stuff that that would be the first thing to do. And it goes along with our UML progression, you know, connectivity across different assets so that you can handle off-dominal conditions well. well. But don't we yeah. have that now? I mean, uh, so we've got in a lot of executive do, helicopter but, uh, places like in New York. But I guess, are you saying that, you know, being able to, you know, have a, a human pilot come up, voice, and then a bunch of other humans get involved on where this guy is going to land after his bird strike – you're talking about 
a, a higher level of communication connectivity. That, that, right. That, I'm talking more about digital connectivity. Ah, uh, gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. And then access to the information about different assets. So that's the role typically you see humans provide in the system. But if you are scaling these operations, um, there may not be adequate, um, basically, time uh, for voice communication and such. such. So information needs to be accessible uh, for everyone. So then what you're saying is that, you know, aviation is entering a an entirely new way of thinking, right? So as you as we enter in this new way of thinking within aviation, what are some of those or or what are those research gaps you see moving forward? Yeah, that's a great, great. I mean, so the research gaps, as we said, uh, it's got to be wor- working in concert with all these assets, uh, aircraft, the variety port. Uh, airspace operations and infrastructure, all those things need to be connected. Their availability, their access needs, uh, the information about the weather, local weather, all of that need to be available so that uh, people who are operating these vehicles can make decisions. So particularly um, uh, when everything is going fine, there are no bad weather situations, all the vehicles are operating without any problems, then we don't worry about it. But our system has to be such that it can accommodate large-scale GPS outages or severe wind, and what do you do? You do, you know, go land at other places. Or bird strikes is another example, or any emergency to the aircraft. All those things need to be thought through, and that's where a lot of research needs to be done. What kind of information needs to be shared among each other? How do they make decisions? If we have to move vehicles around, uh, to accommodate an em- emergency aircraft, what, how do we do that and give priority to that? And maybe sometimes public uh, use vehicles will have priority. And you know, how do you accommodate all of that needs to be well thought through. So, so let me ask you back to you mentioned weather. And, you know, James and I have a very strong level of respect for Mother Nature, uh, and so, and and also having conversations recently with some of your colleagues there at NASA about we're we're encouraging the average individual who is very comfortable with getting into an Uber cab or an Uber vehicle, encouraging to get into what is really a Cessna 172. Um, I love flying in in small planes, the smaller the better, and so does James. Uh, but most people out there aren't really keen on getting into a, seven, a 172 and and uh and uh weather can can really kind of jockey you around in such a small plane. And I hate to say it but uh, we did have a I guess a hard landing of an executive helicopter in Manhattan just a couple of days ago due to weather too. Mm. Worst time ever well, for and, Urban Airmobile. And that wasn't wasn't good. Yeah, so we have to understand all those pieces where these vehicles can operate, what kind of conditions we need to predict ahead of time, and how do you give guidance, uh, prediction as well as in real time, because prediction related to weather is not 100% perfect. So we, we need to be able to accommodate on all of those situations. 
So it almost seems like uh, those who want to study meteorology are going to have <laughs> an, right. a new career opportunity because if Uber and others yeah. want to fly thousands of flights within one urban area within an hour or two, I mean, for it to be cost, um, uh, for, for it to be profitable. Uh, we have also talked about how the manufacturers themselves are going to have to model the automotive or at least the Tesla model for quick manufacturing of, of automobiles because it's been repeated over and over again that it, the to scale, uh, there's going to need to be a lot of autonomous vehicles flying at the same time, uh, back and forth between, you know, New York airports and and uh, downtown Manhattan. Yeah, yeah, I, I think there's uh, interesting developments are happening, and lots of opportunities in different disciplines are going to converge. To make this a reality, so well, but that but leads to kind of our final question and our, our standard question, as we always ask, uh, you know, our guests what the uh, the biggest challenge is to making this a reality. But, but I got to tell you, I feel kind of bad asking you that because there's just so many challenges I in know. this PK. So, if you had to pick one or maybe three, what do you think of the really big, you know, NASA research scientist level issues to do? Is it policy? Is it public acceptance? Is it airworthiness? Is it electric engines? Oh, my gosh, what is it? Well, I, yeah, I think the safety and uh, the noise standard, making sure that the aircraft hmm. design uh, is such that it will accept, uh, it will be low noise. All the safety protocols in place and making sure that the methods uh, are assuring safe design and operations and airspace operations uh, to enable the scalability uh, or the, you know, among the, you know, top things, I would say there are a few others, but those three are definitely something that we are very passionate about at NASA. I, okay, did not expect that answer. No, I mean, neither did noise I. and all that. I mean, you know, kind of following up on the safety, we had a very interesting discussion with the Embraer X guys about, um, what they were going to do an absolute worst. Uh, well, zero power. Zero and he said, power. we'll never get to that point of zero power yeah. because we'll have systems in place that will never allow that to happen. Yeah. I mean, yeah and we do very, very like. good um, NASA researchers uh, have developed a lot of methods for verification and validation of autonomous systems. And they continue to do research on figuring out how to make sure that uh, safety is assured. Wow, that sounds so exciting. I mean, I would love to have grown up to be a NASA engineer. I mean, it would just, I mean, that just sounds so cool. That, that involves to be able calculus, to, and that's, though. That's, I, you know, no, but that, exactly. And that's, and I didn't do very well in calculus, I promise you. But I mean, it just sounds like PK has just, it sounds like you have the coolest job. He does have the coolest job on Earth. Well, I'm not the only one. There are many NASA people working oh, I on know. this. So, I mean, you know, certainly we love what we do. So. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, PK, thank you so much for your insight into how NASA is going to change the way we travel. You know, it's just been a pleasure to have you on the show today. Great. Thank you very much. James, what will we be covering in our next Urban Air Mobility episode? Well, Sean, in our next episode, we're going to have Kate Frazier, Director of Aviation Policy at Uber Elevate. Uh, Kate's recently wrapped up her big Uber Elevate conference in Washington, D.C., and is going to tell us all about what Uber is up to in getting us our school cool, autonomous sky taxis for everybody. 
Super, super. Well, folks, this concludes episode 13 of our Inside Unmanned Systems Drone Beat, Urban Air Mobility four-part series. It's I'd like to say thank you to our guest PK from NASA Ames for kicking off this month's series and for giving us the inside knowledge on all things related to urban air mobility. That's a wrap for this week's edition of Inside Unmanned Systems Drone Beat. I'm Richard Fisher, publisher of Inside Unmanned Systems, saying farewell from the National Press Club in Washington, D.C.